0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, You know, the nature of this uh, show uh, has to do with, you know, obviously the soul of business. But really, (coughs) where my focus is in in putting this show together was to provide access to resources, uh, thought leaders, uh, folks that have actually walked that mile, that last mile, if you will, to business success, and uh, in, for my bias, you know, being able to connect to that unique piece that makes your business unique is uh, where the soul of business comes into play. Um, my guest today, Doctor Jonathan Bakhtari, is a, is a serial entrepreneur, uh, but he's also a medical professional. Um, one of his companies uh, is called E Seven Health. It's um, been named the best technology company in the healthcare space in 2019. Yeah, he's got some cred that is something that you want to pay attention to here. Um, and I wanted to have him on the show because just in reading his bio and some of the information that I've gotten and gleaned from him on on, on a number of the different various uh, websites that, uh, that he uh, makes available and on his podcast, he's the... Uh, the host of a very uh, popular uh, podcast, and we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. Um, But how do you crack the code on sustainable success? I mean, this is something that I'm very interested in. I've I've developed a program on that myself, and we're going to talk about that as well uh, at the end of the show. A shameless commercial plug here.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. But I
0: want to welcome right now um, Dr. Jonathan Bakari. John, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a big honor, I've been looking forward to it. So, thanks for having me.
0: How, how did I mean? As a medical professional, uh, my yeah, I've been working in the in the healthcare space, uh, the hospital systems, and uh, with clinics mm-hmm. uh, for oh goodness, almost fifteen years now. Uh, uh, I'm on the teaching faculty of the American Association for Physician mm-hmm. Leadership, and the question that I often will run into is how do I translate and transfer the knowledge that I have as a doc, as a healthcare professional into running mm-hmm. a business. And that is a question that is always, you know, kind of intrigued me and it's led to some very interesting conversations and work that I've done with hospital systems. You've managed to crack that code. Uh, not only mm-hmm. uh, are you a clinician, you, 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 know, you are a, a renowned, um, uh, you know, doctor, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You've got businesses and you run businesses, not just one, but multiple businesses. Let's unbundle this on this uh, episode sure. with you, if you wouldn't mind, because I think you've got some fascinating things to talk about. Um, beginning with, and this would be my question here, how do you keep your businesses and the people in your businesses connected to what I call the soul of the business?
1: That's a great question. Um, the one thing I realized very early on is the people in your business, businesses or business, look to you to see what you're made out of. And if you are have integrity and you have ethics and you genuinely care <clears throat> about the people in your organization, rather than we're here to make money, which of course should be a byproduct if you do everything else well, uh, I think they pick up on it. They're not stupid. They figure out, well, you know, what the, the guy on top, you know, what, what what's he made out of? Yeah. Uh, and I think people lose focus of that. If you're simply driven to be a success in business, meaning just the bottom line, money, 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 which is very important. Uh, I think people pick up on it. So you, you have to exude that it's about making a difference, having a mission about improving the lives of people. That you're serving as well as improving the lives of 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 your staff uh, if that's not part of your core mission you're you're probably going to struggle
0: you know uh, regular listeners to this podcast uh, can really resonate with what you're saying there um, and i'm I'm interested you know, how do you keep people connected um, to the idea that was the genesis or the catalyst for your business. Yeah. Cause that, you know, and where I'm going with this, uh, John is that, uh, you know, every organization f- is first formed as an idea and then it actually begins to take mm-hmm. from there. Right. Typically the founder is the one, obviously the one is, is most closely uh, wedded to that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. It's an expression of, you know, him or her. You know, writ large out there in the business environment in the uh, in the marketplace. But that idea gets kind of diluted as you start growing the organization. How have you kept your people uh, connected to that idea? And I've got to assume that you have if, uh, you know, you've got an organization that uh, was deemed the best tech company in the healthcare space. You've got to have something going on there. So how have you managed to keep your people connected to that idea? that is the germ of the company
1: yeah part of it is also picking the right people i mean you know we only take in people that are a good fit we don't we don't have any positions that are clock in and clock out we don't have any filler positions we don't have any positions where this can just be you know a, a a pit stop until, uh, for, until you get to your next job. The way we sort of serve it up is that this is a career, um, it, you know, and it ha- have we caught you in the right time of your life where this is, you know, you want something more than clocking and clocking out. I don't mean people are working more than 40 hours a week necessarily, but those 40 hours, you know, we want them to be engaged. We want them to move the ball forward. And in exchange for that, we're going to try to figure out how to take care of them professionally and financially. So I think building the right team and not necessarily just hiring for skill, you know, we hire for passion. We hire for commitment. And that can be, that can be tough, by the way, especially when you're first starting out, you know, you don't have a lot of redundancy, you know, and you can't just uh hire everybody like that maybe at the beginning but clearly as the years roll by and not that we even fired people i think people looked around and said oh my gosh to be in this organization you need to be all in and i'm not all in and so this is not a good fit for me uh and so it, it's all, almost kind of weeds itself out once you have that core principle you
0: know that's an interesting uh n- a noticing there uh People looking up and going, you know, our culture is a culture of all inness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the self selection that begins to occur as a function of mm-hmm. the cultural uh, portion of the. So as a startup, you know, I mean, and, and you've had a number of startups here that have been successful. How do you begin the process of developing a culture that supports the aspiration? that the company is attempting to live into?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, well, it really becomes from, you know, everyone, including yourself, having an owner's mentality. You know, one of the things I ask certain staff, you know, like, hey, you know, if I sold you this company for a dollar, would you show up tomorrow and give me a different product? And if they say yes, then I said, well, listen, I need that product out of the gate. And if you give me that product, then we're gonna take care of you professionally and financially. So it's it's a bartering system, right? It, and and then you get a number of people that buy into that and they then, you know, impact other people with that philosophy. Because it look, you take two startups, right? Both great ideas, both in a garage somewhere in Silicon Valley, and they hire the first five people. I mean, it's not unreasonable to think Assuming the ideas are the same and the financing is the same, the likelihood of success is really going to be dependent on the commitment of those first five people, right? If one if one startup has five people that are all in and 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 they're owners and they're not renters and what have you, it can actually impact whether you're successful or not. So it's not just something nice to have. It's, <laughs> it's not nice to have. Oh, it'd be cool to have that. No, 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 no. It 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 will. Increase, I won't guarantee it, but it will certainly increase the likelihood uh, of being successful. If Uber's first five employees were just clocking in and out, would they be where they are today? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, th- you could have a great idea, you could have everything, but if your first core leadership is, is just a job for them, um, it, no one can argue that that will impact the likelihood of, that you'll be successful.
0: Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. Two, two things here. You know, one, you know, a lot of my work is on leadership development. I mean, that's a lot of my exclusive focus is on developing uh, leaders that are highly effective in whatever domains they find themselves operating in uh, primarily life. Uh, But one of the ways that I've defined leadership is it's a process of influencing others in order to co-create coordinated movement. And what you've just touched on here is that co-creation piece, which is basically ownership transference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love this question. I'd never even thought of this question. If I sold you the company for a dollar,
1: <laughs> that—that is an amazingly opening question to tap. out. Yeah. and they you should—and should, you it, should see the answers I get. You know, like I, I ask this pretty much. I if I would you come in tomorrow morning and give me a different product than you're giving me today? I'm not saying work more hours. Yeah. Would Would you notice the fax machine was broken if you were the owner? Of course you would. Would you notice that the the shipment never came in? That it's not even in your department? Yes, as an owner, you would notice that. And so then I say, well, listen. If you could give me that product, sounds like you could, right? If I sold you the company, you like you would. How about this? Just give me that product anyway, and in exchange. You know, we're going to take care of you. You know, we're, we're we're going to take care of you financially, professionally. If we grow, you're going to grow. You know, because that's what the definition of an owner is. What happens to an owner, a guy who owns a pizza shop, if they double the number of pizzas they sell, well, it's going to mean good things for the owner, right? Same thing. If, if we're going to treat you like an owner, if you're part of the reason this company is growing, you're going to know it. But, but, but not if you're clocking in and out. Exactly, mm. yeah. So that that it's a bartering system,
0: and you know that's interesting. Um, and I and I want to that question about of, 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 it's a bartering system. I want to explore that a little because I mean you you just triggered something in my mind about um, the distinction between satisfaction and loyalty, and mm-hmm. I want to just check this out with you in my thinking here. And it typically shows up in metrics. You know, know, we're measuring customer satisfaction, as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to be transactionally based. Uh, And if I stub my toe one time on a transaction, you're dissatisfied as a client or as a customer or as an employee, as a matter of fact here. But if I'm targeting loyalty uh, in the vernacular that I'm thinking of it here, uh, I can stub my toe on a transaction and mm-hmm. but if i've been t- looking at yeah you know, maintaining the quality of the relationship loyalty mm-hmm. comes into play there and i can stub my toe once maybe twice maybe even three times here but because there's a conversational dynamic in play here i'm going to have loyalty and there is a forgiveness component that builds into that yes and when i heard you say the word bartering what what struck me was uh, it's a dialogic it's a dialogue it's not a you know, take it or leave it transaction.
1: Here's the price. Well, it can't can't be, you know, why? Because why would someone agree to that? I mean, in other words, if I'm an employee, okay, and I'm coming and doing a good job, doing a good job, clocking in, clocking out. And then my boss comes up to me and says, I need more. You're like, but why? Why should I give you more? I mean, as long as I'm coming in, I, I get here on time. I leave on time. You you know so you're you're it's a one way street if you just ask for more right yeah. you're like well, my last job I didn't have to do that and they were fine with me now you're telling me you're not fine with me clocking in a, my last five jobs I was okay with clocking. they loved me you know when yeah. I when I was at Macy's I clocked in and I clocked out I sold some shirts and it was nice to everybody and they were totally happy now you're telling me that's not going to be good enough here if it was good enough for Macy's why isn't it good enough for you? And the, the answer to that, of course, is when Macy's hires you, they're not asking you to change Macy's stock price, right? They're just asking you to sell those shirts and be nice and do a good job and what have you, be nice every uh But in a startup or in a, big or, in a small organization or when you're trying to develop a leadership, we are asking you to change our stock price, metaphorically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. How do we add value? We add value by showing up.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. probably as simple as i can make it. Um we're going to take a real quick break here. When i come back from the break, what i I'd like to you know dive into something here. One of the areas that you actually um uh, speak really well into are the top 5 underrated CEO skills. And you are a legitimate expert to be able to articulate that. So Folks, when we come back, I'm going to have uh, you know, Jonathan just kind of un- unbundle from his perspective in running these organizations and starting these organizations. What does a CEO need to be paying some attention to that may be different than what you think it is? So we'll take a short break and be right back. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow and ideally thriving is what we also all of us want to be able to do. Unfortunately at some stage in life most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut and a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not, are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back, folks. Um, Hope you enjoyed that little uh, interlude there. Uh, And I do want to uh, encourage you to check out that masterclass. I think you're going to find some very interesting information there. Um, Before I took the break, uh, I kind of teased a little bit about uh, having Jonathan talk a little bit about from his experience. What are the five critical underrated skills that a CEO actually needs to be paying some attention to? Um, so you've got a track record of, of you know, significant success here. You've started a couple of different, you know, a couple of different companies uh, that have you know, actually done very well. You've got a, a staff that sticks with you. You've got clients. You've got um, basically stakeholders in the broadest sense of the word that really value what you're bringing to the table, and. As a leader, quote, unquote, uh, as the CEO of these organizations, what have you learned that most people probably wouldn't be paying some attention to, if I could put it in that, in that context? You know, the underrated CEO skills that mm-hmm. you've actually leveraged.
1: Right. I, the first one actually is something that most people don't think about, which is that being a CEO is not a soft skill. I I think people think that being a CEO is something that, you know, you can figure out, like, like, if you're likable, if people respect you, if you're a good guy, that's going to make you a good CEO. That's by the way, you do need all those things to be effective. But, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to land a 747 because you're a nice guy and people respect you. Right. You wouldn't be able to take out an appendix because you're a nice guy. And people respect you and people like you. But I think a lot of people think that I can be a leader because, you know, I'm a nice guy. People like me. It was my idea to start this company. Uh, and so, you know, I have a good sense of humor. Who cares? Because that doesn't or it was, I I put the money in. You put the money in. It was your idea. I don't know how that makes you the right person. So I'm not saying you shouldn't be the CEO, but I think you need to realize you need to acquire some skills. Just like you know, you you may be a good person to land a 747, but you're going to have to take a year of, of classes or two years of classes before you can do that. And I, when when it comes to being a CEO, I, I, people think they can bypass that. Um, you know, it's just yes, I'll just I'll ask a few questions at the meetings, I'll figure it out. But it's not that simple because you're going to wind up making a lot of mistakes and you're going to pay tuition one way or another. You're going to pay tuition in the school of hard knocks, you know, when you make all those mistakes or you can acquire them. You you wouldn't go play a violin in front of uh, a crowd full of people without any lesson, but yet you're going to walk into your first board meeting as a CEO because you just thought of this idea three months ago and, you know, have the skill sets to be the CEO. So what I'm hearing in that is get your ego out of the way. Yes. (laughs) And that's probably, you know, people ask me, what is it about being a doctor that helped you in that process? Which is interesting because doctors have this reputation of having a big ego, always being the smartest guy in every room. And that's true. But there's another side of medical training that actually taught you not to be like that. So when I was a third year, when I was a third year medical student, and my fourth year medical students told me do this, I'm like yes, right away. And when I was a you know when I was a fourth year medical student, my intern would tell me go do that or this is how you do this. Uh, I'm like yes, of course, yes, yes, yes. And then when I was an intern, I had a resident. When I was a resident, I had a fellow. When I was a fellow, I had an attending. We're trained to be mentored and, and learn from others. The problem for some physicians is once they get to the top, they're like, ah, I'm at the top of the pyramid. Thank goodness. No more listening to other people. And, uh, and if you can only continue that, if you can view, you know, business and getting involved in leadership as yet another fellowship or another residency where you shut up and listen. Uh, which is what you did as a, in, the, in your training. Believe me, anyone who's been through any, you know, rigorous formal training in the United States will tell you the key to success to get through an internship, residency, or fellowship is to shut up and listen. There, there's no di—I mean, you can have a dialogue, but by and large, blowback is not uh, is not welcomed. If they say this is how you take care of the patient, you can ask questions, but they don't want any blowback. Right, that you know, nobody wants to hear a blowback from someone who, you know, is is not at their level and, you know, wants to challenge how they're doing things. Again, on margins, you can, but broadly speaking.
0: Broadly speaking, yeah.
1: It's frowned upon, you know, who are you? You're a medical student and you have an attending who's been doing it for 20 years and you wanna challenge that? I'm like, really, you're you're (laughs) not gonna do that. You're not going to challenge that person. I mean, you can ask questions, you know, help me understand better. That's always welcome. But you're not in a position to, you know, challenge that position. I mean, you can, you know, in on, on, on rare occasions. But so anyway, so this is part of our DNA to shut up and listen. <laughs> and, and then when you when you get into leadership, you need to find mentors Uh in in business who are going to hold your hand who you can call and say hey you know i've got a meeting coming up with an g- important vendor this is the facts on the ground how would you be tough on them would you be easy on them would you would you show all your cards would you puff up your chest you know what's the best way to do this and uh and so you need to have mentors when you're first starting out to know how to negotiate you know uh, i One of the first things I I learned is an old adage, you know, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And so you don't, you think you're just going to walk into a room and say, we deserve this. This, this. This would be fair. Like nobody cares. It depends who's got the leverage. It depends who's holding the cards. They're not there to do fair. They're there to do the deal that they can do given the amount of leverage they have in that negotiation. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, some given the circumvent and you have to understand that you have to learn who's going to teach you that you're going to learn on you you're, you're going to learn just on the job on, on how to negotiate, um, uh, you know, when to be tough, when not to be tough, when not, when to put out the honey, when to put out the sugar, when not when to put out the vinegar. I mean, how do you calibrate that? When yeah. do you, how much of it do you do? So a lot of skill sets, that any leader needs to acquire. So you can you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a dummy tax involved. I mean, you, yeah, there is no free lunch. I mean, if I could, if I walk into the boardroom and get my head handed to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to learn a lesson there. So ideally, yeah, and this is where mentoring, I think, really does serve very, very well. These folks have already paid the dummy tax. If I can mm-hmm. find somebody that has done that well, I don't have to pay that tax myself. And right. I didn't, my likelihood of being successful over the long haul. Um, you know, one of the things, I mean, as, as you're talking here about these uh, skill sets and whatnot, it strikes me, and this is something that I do pay a, quite a bit of attention to that, you know, all any organization is is a collection of people in relationship. And I don't mean just mm-hmm. the core group, but to the degree that the relationships are working well, you got a pretty good shot at being successful. And relationships, you know, obviously the most, you know, the interpersonal ones are the most obvious, but you've also got relationship with goals, with values, with belief systems, you know, with work process, with, you know, all of everything has a relational component to it. And the lingual, and and, and what allows relationship efficacy is high quality communication. And that's what I actually hear you speaking to. You know, listening is probably 80% of communication. if not more. Yeah, being able to listen effectively and then being able to ask effective questions. If I want to challenge the powers that be, I need to be able to do that in a way that doesn't you know, cause a lot of blowback or mm-hmm. I don't get the question answered that I'd like to have answered. Mm-hmm. So how have you learned? Because most people don't learn to communicate mm-hmm. uh, through anything other than an accidental trial and error approach. I've got mm-hmm. to guess that you've practiced a little bit here. Um, I mean, you've got a program that uh, I believe it's called um, High Converting Call. And it was a class that you used to run internally uh, with your staff, if I, if, if I remember right here. Um, and it's a communication pro- yeah, protocol. Basically, mm-hmm. how do we communicate with folks in a way that produces the result that we intend to produce, which is the purpose of communication is to produce a result which, by the way, is also the purpose of leadership, is to produce a result. So leadership and communication are essentially the same thing. Can you talk a little bit about this high converting call uh, format that you've got in place with your organization? And you're actually, as I understand it, making it available to the public right now, too.
1: Yeah, it's on a website called highconvertingcallclasses.com. It's actually a course that we had internally. We just put it on Kajabi which is a platform, but highconvertingcallclasses.com. And basically what that is, is a strategy for converting phone calls, but even in person, but certainly phone calls into appointments or sales. And we needed that for all our organizations. So many, many years ago, started doing research. I started taking classes uh, and it was a compilation of many courses I took, many books I read, and then we implemented it slowly. So it evolved over 10, 15 years. And it actually became a formal internal course that uh, staff would go through. And uh, we just got to the point that we finally decided to offer it to the public. But in essence, it, the, the idea of certainly sales it, in the traditional sense is not the way to approach it. You know, high pressure, you know, uh, overcoming objections, whatever. There is another way to do it, which is to convey you are the Michael Jordan of whatever it is that you're doing. And when nobody would go to Michael Jordan and want basketball lessons, but start to question his authority on the subject matter or even the price, I mean, you're like, you're Michael Jordan. I mean, mean, obviously that doesn't mean you have to be unreasonable, but I'm saying the price objection and the other objections that people often get is really because they're not convinced that you are the authority on this matter. You know, and so once you're sitting with the authority, you know they might be able to save a couple of shekels by going somewhere else, but they're not going to get you. And I think that's the you know in sales. Oh well, the, you know there's someplace cheaper, better. But, but at the end of the day, the whole idea in this interaction is how, what are the rules and strategies to convey that they've called even the right hair salon or the the right lawyer or the right anything. There is a way to convey your authority in a a non-salesy way, where instead of having to overcome objections, just don't get the objections, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And again, where can people find this? Because I, I do want to
0: make it available to our listeners. Because I, I think oh, it's yeah, a, it's, it's it's really yeah. very. powerful. it's it, it's,
1: it's uh, I I'm telling you any you know obviously my staff has all taken it. And anyone who's taken it, it changes the way they even talk in in general. But it's high converting call and uh, to go to that website and you can see we made some preliminary videos and how to sign up for the course. But it's really also meant for people who want to change their entire sales staff or the people that answer the call. It will really revolutionize what we found uh, in our internal statistics. When we take someone off the street who we hire and we just let them answer the phones with just the basic information you would normally have, they're able to convert about 20-30% of the calls into appointments or sales. With This course, if you fully implemented role play and get all the strategies down, it it gets it up to 70, 80 percent, which is interesting because if you can, if you get, you know, 20 calls a day and you're converting 30 percent, that's six people or six sales or six appointments. And a lot of times people are like, we got to spend more money on marketing. We're only getting six appointments a day. Well, maybe you could spend more money on marketing or maybe you instead of signing up 30% you're signing up 80% of the same calls you're getting so you got 20 calls okay uh, uh um and now you're converting 80% so you have 16 appointments so, or 16 sales so i think the focus is we just need more phone calls yeah you get more phone calls but you're only converting 30% why not at least double that and keep the, you know not spend as much money on marketing and if you are going to spend money on marketing they'll still be 80% of whatever you increase it to. Again, that's if you're fully trained, really throw your back into the course, uh, spend a lot of time on it, rehearse, practice, because the way we teach you how to talk in this course is not instinctual. It's not how we normally talk. Now, it doesn't sound uh, different, but it's, It's not the natural way of talking. I'll give you an example. One of the things we teach in the course, one of many, many things, is when you answer a question, don't pause. For example, when you, like, you know, how many models do you have? And We have four models. And what we found in neurolinguistics teaches us that when you pause, it forces the other person to generate a question, which is fine, but it's often a question they didn't have. They just didn't like the pause. And and so, but then... (laughs) <laughs> but then you do wind up going down this rabbit hole of, of answering a question that they didn't really have, which then you know causes them to double think about other things, and it just the conversation just spirals in the wrong direction. So I just so like a teaser rule, but it's hundreds of rules like that, the, and and then how to then convey you are the authority. So even if they could go somewhere else, uh, they're not going to get you, or they're not going to get your company. So they then you know. They may get the same product potentially or same service, but they're certainly not going to have you. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the show today. Uh, where can folks find out more about you
1: specifically and uh, what you're up to? Yeah, we have a website, bakhtarimd.com, which has pretty much uh, everything we do, our podcast, m- you know, my appearance on um News magazines and other places and other podcasts that we've done. Um, also, I'm on LinkedIn. If Bakhtari MD, if they want to um, reach out in any way, and then of course our websites for our companies: E7 Health, E National Testing, and US Test Com. They're all you know welcome to visit all those, but they're all on our LinkedIn profile and in dot Com. Good,
0: and I'll make sure they're on the show notes as well. So. Again, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. This has been an absolute treat. I've, I've loved the conversation. I've loved what you've brought to the audience. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, Blaine. Thank you.
0: You bet. And folks, thank you for listening uh, to this episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, check out my website, as long as we're talking about websites. Uh, specifically, you might go to learn.blainebartlett.com toolkit. And what you'll find there is an access to a sustainable success toolkit. Um, And if you're interested in sustaining success over life, as Earl Nightingale said, success is the continual pursuit of a worthy ideal. How do you do that? Well, that's what this toolkit answers. So yeah, check it out, and uh, you'll find that the price point is very, very friendly. Okay, and I'll see you on the next episode. And until next time, find a way to be continuously a center of distribution in your life, not a center of accumulation. You'll find your life works a whole lot better. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Hi, I'd like to uh, ask you to do something for me, if you wouldn't mind. If you like this episode, I'd like you to uh, not only subscribe uh, on your favorite site, but I'd also like you to uh, give a rating. Uh, ideally, a, a five-star rating would be you know greatly appreciated. But I think more importantly also would be just uh, some uh, comments, uh that helps with the algorithm and it helps build the, uh, the audience with this. And more than anything else, if you could um, invite somebody else to listen, just share this episode with a friend, with a colleague. And uh, I'd like to see how we can grow the soul of business. I think it makes a difference. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.